Support for this podcast is provided by Schwabi, Williamson, and Wyatt, committed to redefining client service around one ambition, to master their clients' industries. More on what it means to be represented by Schwabi at schwabi.com. And Blue Collar Agency. Blue Collar is a full-service advertising agency with talent on both coasts. They believe in the truth of their blue-collared forefathers. Hard work gets things done. See how it influences everything they do at bluecollaragency.com. Deb, thanks for being on the podcast. You bet. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, you don't have to twist my arm to come to a winery. So we're here at Rex Hill, um, and you know, you're the founder of A to Z Wine Works, and I think there was three or four of you that founded it. So I would love to hear the story of how that started. I know it kind of started in your kitchen, right? It did indeed. Um, we, my husband at the time was. Uh, the general manager of Domain Drouin, Oregon. So we worked for the French for 14 years. And when he left that stint, uh, he spent a year trying to th- figure out what he wanted to do and decided that he would start his own little winery and make 350 cases of Pinot Noir every year. I was all for that, but I also was really keen on paying the mortgage and feeding the children and the <laughs> right. animals. And so so I thought maybe we could uh, buy some of the ample juice at the time, this was 2002, and make a blend that we could sell while we were waiting for that wine. Uh, if you do the math, you'd have to charge a lot of money for those bottles of the 350 cases. So uh, that was the idea. And when we went around buying some of the the fine wines that were available, like a negociant would, one day we were tasting at Archery Summit. Sam was just leaving. Sam Tannehill was just leaving Archery Summit after working there as the winemaker for seven years. And so I suggested during that tasting that he and his wife, Cheryl Francis, who was winemaker at Shehalem for the same length of time, that they join up forces with us and we would be able to then even do a little bit more and offer an affordable quality Pinot Noir for every man. It was before America had discovered Pinot Noir, so a couple years before Sideways. And Burgundy is really expensive, so uh, a lot of people didn't even know Burgundy was Pinot Noir, and and generally people just didn't know it. Consequently, uh, we, we got in before the Sideways thing, so we had a little bit of a good head start. And we were uh, uh, unusually and fortunately a really good combo of talents. Bill Hatcher, my ex, was great with financing and and the bank relationships and setting up the business. And Sam and Cheryl were winemakers. And then I discovered I had some talent uh, marketing and selling. So uh, it, was a, it was really a lucky combo of talents and drive. Yeah, and I, want, I do want to talk about that timing because you look at it, it's like 2001, 2002, kind of in between. We're coming out of the late 90s of the, the dot-com kind of crash. So and it was before this boom of Pinots and Oregon wine. You helped, obviously, pioneered that. So 
obviously it wasn't a very popular thing to do, very risky thing to do. So uh, how did you kind of balance that? Like you said, you had a family and to feed and things. Right. So. We'd, uh, we'd been uh, in this situation before, and that never bothered me, but this time we had children. So I was, I was really, frankly, scared. Mm-hmm. And it's astonishing what a motivating factor kids and fear are. Yeah. So uh, I was driven um, definitely for uh, making this a success. Sam and Cheryl weren't, uh, they didn't buy in right away on the concept of continuing. That happened in a half a year later. That first wine was well-received. It, it was awarded the best American Pinot Noir under $20 by Food and Wine Magazine. But there wasn't a quality Pinot Noir in the world under $20 at that time. So... You know, not a lot of competition for that first 2,600 cases. On the other hand, we were also given that same nod in 2006, four years later, for a wine that we made 51,000 cases of. So by then, Sideways had come out, and it really meant a lot to get that nod a second time yeah. for a bigger quantity. Well, fun. And, you know, fast forward now, you're the biggest wine producer in Oregon between all your brands, right? So... Um, how did, you know, with the growth, you, I know you steered a lot of that growth, uh, and I think you acquired Rex Hill in late 2000s, is that right? No, no, in uh, the last day of 2006, so 2006. just okay. 11 years ago, yeah. Okay, so walk me through that, what was kind of motivating to kind of to have that moment, like, we want to do this to, to really establish ourselves as... Our, our kids wanted to reclaim their kitchen, so they kicked us out of the house, and we went to a little one-room office space in Dundee, but we were making wine all over the state. We had already been bottling at Rex Hill. We had poured a cement pad and, and put a stainless steel silo to blend here that we owned and it just seemed to make sense the founders were ready to move on and we were desperate for a facility so since that time we've invested put back into the company another 29 million dollars to build the infrastructure for a to z behind the legacy rex hill rex hill is 36 years old and and A to Z had its 15th anniversary last year. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, it's it exciting. I definitely consume a lot of your guys' products. So. <laughs> so, you know, Oregon during that time really just had this boom of popularity and you helped, you know, so tell me about how that came about and how you helped kind of evangelize the Oregon wine because it's been become, you know, worldwide known. So. Well, one of, the th- one of the reasons that I came to Oregon was Actually, the reason was for Pinot Noir. I was just knocked out by its quality and deliciousness. So having, I'm from Detroit, I'm distantly related to Henry Ford, and I believe that every man should have quality, that it shouldn't be restricted to any this person or that person. I'm not in favor of that. So to offer an aristocratic wine at a democratic price to... Uh, every person to be able to taste this fabulous wine that I loved so much. That was part of the goal. Also, the industry was tiny, tiny still. Most of the wineries here, uh, almost 800 now, make 
small amounts of wine yeah. under 5,000 cases. So it made it difficult for anyone to command or even demand a category, an Oregon category in retail or on a restaurant wine list. Yeah. So I felt that if we could offer something that was truly representative of Oregon, the essence of Oregon, quality wine, but be affordable, that it would help buoy the whole column for the industry, that it would serve all of Oregon wines, and that we're still doing that. When we talk around the world, we talk more about Oregon and why Oregon is special than we do about A to Z. Yeah. Well, that's great. And so tell me about a little about the, how the industry has changed in Oregon. You said 800 wineries now in Oregon. Almost. Sure when you started, that was <laughs> maybe right. on two hands, right? You can it's, count. It's true. There were certainly less than 20 wineries in Yamhill County when we came in 1985. Yeah. And it was... Uh, uh, collaborative industry like I've never seen anywhere else. The uh, players were all pretty pretty small. Yeah. Our community was covered a huge geographical area, but that was our community, so you drove a long way to parties. Yeah. Um, but in the time since, it really has changed, and consolidation on every level is driving part of that. Um, not just consolidations of wineries, but also of retailers, also of restaurant chains, and perhaps most importantly for our little industry, distributors. So tiny players are having an increasingly difficult time getting attention from the resellers, the wholesalers who would sell to a restaurant or a retailer. And that that's definitely ch going to change the field. I don't know how some will survive without almost 100% direct to the person who drives up to their winery. Yeah, I mean, so is it making it harder for someone to, to get into the game? Right. That and cost too. Yeah. Land prices have gone up dramatically since I came. Um, it used to be probably around a thousand dollars an acre and today it's probably more like twenty five thousand dollars an acre for developable developable uh, land that you could develop yeah. into a vineyard now it's true in napa it's probably twenty five two hundred and fifty thousand ten times more and in burgundy um small plots have gone for as high as sixteen million dollars but here so so to the French or to the Californians, we our land looks very affordable. Yeah. To uh, someone with a, a, a grape in their eye and a twinkle <laughs> in their step who right. wants to get into the industry, yeah. getting more difficult. And that's just the land. So all the, the costs subsequent, whether it's planting or the vines themselves or the tending, every all of those costs are rising. And then a challenge for the industry is that labor is becoming um, a big issue. Not only is a, a good portion of our labor force leaving the United States, sure. but also we have new competition with cannabis. And mm -hmm. so there's um, there are even 
like uh, challenges in a parking lot when you're trying to find yeah. when a little player is trying to find some some pickers at harvest you know it's it's like um, uh, you know who can who can who can throw out the biggest price and and grab some grab some help so that's not great and and it's not just that. Even in Portland, where it's gotten so exciting with being the mecca for food and, and craft beverages, is there enough housing for actually, people who actually want to work here? Are there enough jobs? Can you make a living wage? And that's not just a problem in Portland. It's a problem here in Newburgh, Oregon. Yeah. Is there enough housing? Can these people make a living wage? We, we have... A, a commitment to that to pay everyone uh, almost a third above the local living wage, but but it, it it isn't possible for everyone who's just got a little operation and from time to time to time to time needs help. Yeah, and I do want to I want to unpack that a little bit because one of the things I always like to ask about is the growth of Portland. But to get back to you mentioned the cannabis, and I haven't even really thought about that. How that's you know the competition with the labor part. I grew up in Southern Oregon. And so I know you um, maybe source some of your grapes from we down do. there. We do, all across the state. And uh, there's some great things happening down there in winery. And I am that those two industries down there, uh, they conflict a lot because the cannabis industry down there has been very big for a long time. So, you know, what the other parts of the state, um, what are you seeing as far as the growth of, I mean, let's talk about Southern Oregon. Uh, have you done a lot more business with them over the years or uh, i'm just curious kind of being from there how they've matured we've done business with southern oregon almost from the start okay. we started buying grapes in 2003 and we've worked with over 100 vineyards in oregon i'm pretty sure many more than anyone else yeah. we've always worked with them on our dime with the viticultures to improve their their uh farming practices, but especially a commitment to sustainability. What we've seen in Southern Oregon is uh, we have more commercial growers of anything, let's say tomatoes or almonds or something like that, coming up and wanting to plant large vineyards. Again, the costs make sense. We have a little more water. Yeah. We have longer day, shorter night, cooler night, good for berries, all those things. But their mentality is really about their return on investment. And so trying to bring these new bigger players up to our expectations for quality and especially sustainability, that's been a task and that's different than it was in the early days. Yeah. And I know firsthand experience, a mutual friend, former employee of yours, who's viticulture here, he would always tell me how he he was going down Southern Oregon to do that education. So I know you guys do an excellent job of that. So let's get back to Portland and the growth. Uh, you've, I've been here not, well, not too long, maybe 10 years when I moved up from Southern Oregon. Um, what are the pros and cons for you of this growth? We were just talking about the housing cost, but what are some of the other things you're, you think are good coming out of that, but also some of the things you're worried about besides kind of the, the cost of living and things. The vibrant food and, and craft beverage scene is exciting. And we had a collaboration between all three craft beverage groups, wine, spirits, and beer here in Oregon. I don't think that's happened anywhere else yeah. in the world. That's that's That embodies the spirit of how we go forward here. We are 
first and foremost for Oregon. And of course, we would need to make a sustainable living too and have a, have a sustainable company. But that's exciting. And I think that has attracted a lot of young people from across the world, actually. And that brings new energy, enthusiasm, um, different kinds of education. And I think that any area that can attract young people is is on the right. Yeah. This is a useful, healthy, vibrant growth for the community if they can find real work right. and and make a make a living, um, and and be healthy. And I see that this fast growth. I worry that anyone who's for instance, in the service industries, their commute to come in to sustain all of this in Portland is really long. And I worry about that. I worry about losing some of the diversity. Um, we've never been a tremendously diverse state yeah. to begin with. And I would hope that this um, youthful excitement would have brought more diversity, but you need to have mixed housing. And that's that's of a concern at A to Z, we became a B Corp. At the time we did in 2014, we were the only B Corp winery in the world. And now I'm happy to say there are many wow. more and the, the movement is growing. It's a certification for uh, a, a nonprofit certification for businesses that look at your practices in uh, the environment for social and community, and then finally, are you economically sustainable? So you could do all the good in the world for two years and you're out of business. That's not a sustainable business. And I like that concept a lot. I like that there's something with a rigorous examination of of your practices. And I see that that uh, kind of attitude being growing in Portland and in Oregon, but especially Portland and, and being well received. And the idea that that can go to any industry, that, that is important to me. And I like that we've been able to be leaders and models for that. Yeah. And I've interviewed a few folks now that their companies, they've gone through the B Corp process Yay. from real estate to someone who owns kind of a, starting a chain of a car repair places. That's great. And it's great. Like I said, the diversity of the type of businesses that can get that is great. Um, so well, one more question. What's next for A to Z? What, what are some of the things you can maybe share that you guys are looking to grow or do? Or Well, we celebrated our 15th anniversary with two new wines. So that's really unusual. We haven't introduced a new wine for really since almost the beginning. So we have Rosé Bubbles, which is pretty fun for us. Yeah. It's in a crown cap, super fun package to, you know, be, be tasty in any kind of a vessel. And we also, um, launched for the first time, uh, a selection from, all these vineyards we've worked with for so long. So it's a, a tiny amount for us of Pinot Noir. We call the essence of Oregon Pinot Noir. It's a little higher price, not much, but we felt it was so sad to let some of these special blocks even or vineyards or particular areas that excelled in a vintage. And it went into our A to Z. That's good. But, but, 
there were exceptional small areas every vintage. So for the first time, we pulled that out and made this special wine. Great. Well, hey, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I loved hearing your story. I'm going to go down and have a flight. Now. <laughs> so thanks again. Yeah, well, thank you, Dan. 